Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, my friends. I hope that you're well. I'm just now getting over a mild case of COVID Omicron. And this is the first day that I have felt well enough to record a podcast, although I've been working on this one for the last several days as we continue our study of Psalm 139. If my throat sounds a little hoarse or I have some coughs or sniffles, then, well, that's the reason. But while I was ill and working on this the other day, I took a pencil and wrote these words over Psalm 139 in my Bible the words, what God thinks of me. Now try that for yourself because it's truly the theme of this glorious passage that we're looking at during this series of studies. Psalm 139, what God thinks of me. The entire subject of self-esteem has dominated popular psychology during my lifetime. And much of our self-esteem is based on what we believe our authority figures think of us. What does my mom or my dad or my coach or my teacher think of me? Well, nothing will deepen your sense of self-worth more than studying Psalm 139 and learning what Almighty God thinks of you. This is a very personal psalm. There are only 24 verses in it, but the words I and me and my occur 48 times. The words you and your occur 28 times. This is very personal, and yet the writer never gets far away from God's transcendent, almighty, eternal attributes. So Psalm 139 tells us of our powerful God, that he is very personal, and that our personal God is very powerful. This is a very interesting juxtaposition of ideas in Psalm 139. God is both limitless and he is loving. He is both infinite and he is intimate. He is the one who knows you best, but he's also the one who loves you the most. His universal attributes intersect with our personal situations on a constant basis. His divine traits converge with our daily trials, and he knows how to care for us. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Well, that's the theme of Psalm 139. Today, I want to look at the phrases that we find in verses 1 through 6, using the Living Bible as our guide. So let me read this for you. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 in the Living Bible. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand, when far away you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You both proceed and follow me and place your hand of blessing on my head. This is too wonderful, too glorious to believe. 
Now, I want to take this passage and just go through it one sentence at a time. The first one, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Literally, the psalmist says, you have searched me. And the Hebrew term means to explore, to probe, to discover, to search out. It was the kind of word they used to describe spies being sent to search out and to explore a city. Dr. Douglas Fields is a neurobiologist and the senior investigator of the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. He's been writing for many years on issues related to the human brain. His newest book is entitled Electric Brain, How the New Science of Brain Waves Reads Minds, Tells Us How We Learn, and Helps Us Change for the Better. Well, in his preface, Dr. Fields wrote about visiting a laboratory as he was researching for his book, and he found there two trend-setting neuroscientists. Dr. Fields wrote, I know that by using their sophisticated instruments, they can eavesdrop on electrical transmissions flashing through my brain. The most intimate details of my mind are theirs to see. They can read my thoughts before I have them. They can watch my brain learn. They can gleam my intelligence, my propensity for adventurism, identify telltale signatures of mental illness and neurological disorders, and predict my ability to learn specific types of material. These deeply personal insights into my mind are available to them and to other brain scientists who are propelling a revolutionary leap in neuroscience that will transform our world. Well, the kind of advancing technology that Dr. Fields describes in which people can tap into and read our brain waves is both exciting and disturbing, depending on how it's used. We don't know where this technology of neuroscience is going, but we do know that Almighty God is already there. He remembers every thought you have ever had, including all of the ones that you've forgotten. His omniscience penetrates and permeates the electrical circuitry of your brain. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I very often get discouraged with myself because of what's going on in my brain or my emotions. Why is it that sometimes I'm glad if somebody else fails or falls. Why do I lose my temper? What motivates me? I don't understand the complexities in my own attitudes. The Lord Jesus Christ takes one glance and he knows everything, totally, instantly, intuitively, and perfectly. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. That may seem frightening, but to David, it was wonderful. Let's say you're convinced you have some disease. You know something is wrong with you, but you're not sure what it is. Is it cancer? Is it my heart? Is it a strange disease? Is it a neurological disorder? What if you had a doctor that knew exactly 
What was wrong with you the moment you walked through the door of his office and who knew how to treat that problem and restore you to health? That was David's attitude about the Lord as he wrote this psalm. He was saying, oh, praise the Lord. He's the one and only person who really knows me, who really understands me, who has me all figured out. And even when I am all confused about myself, he knows, he knows me, and he knows how to help me. All of that in verse 1 of Psalm 139. What a joy it is to comprehend this. Secondly, Psalm 139 goes on to say, The Lord not only knows what we are thinking, but what we are doing. Verse 2 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand. Now, this is very literal, detailed knowledge. The voice translation of this verse says, You know, even the small details, like when I take a seat and when I stand up again. But in the Hebrew, this phrase means something more. The Hebrew phrase, when I sit or stand, was a figure of speech indicating the totality of life. Scholars call it a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M, merism, which is a rhetorical device in which two contrasting parts of a whole refer to the whole itself. We have the same pattern in English. I lost a credit card the other day and I searched for it high and low. In other words, I searched in all of the high places and in all of the low places and everywhere in between. This is an example of a mirrorism. So when David said, you know, when I sit or stand, he means that God is fully aware of every single detail of every single thing that he did from the time he left the chair to the time he returned. God had knowledge of David's total life. No detail of our lives is hidden from God. The next phrase in the Living Bible says, when far away, you know my every thought. The English Standard Version says, you discern my thoughts from afar. In one sense, God is geographically centralized, as when we read about him being in the temple when he manifested his presence by the pillar of cloud. In another sense, God is never geographically limited. He is everywhere, which David will emphasize in the next paragraph. But here David is thinking of God in his geographically centralized throne room, maybe in the tabernacle or in heaven. But even from afar, even from that distance, God discerned David's every thought. The same is true for Jesus. In his humanity, he was geographically limited. He could not be in Nazareth and Jerusalem at the same time, for he had accepted the limitations of a human body. Yet, through the inside of the Holy Spirit, he knew what was happening everywhere. Scholars who study Psalm 139 often think of the conversation between Jesus and Nathanael in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John 1.47 says that when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. The fact that Jesus had known something Nathanael had done secretly under a fig tree was so startling to the young man that he 
instantly became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when we get to heaven, we're going to ask Nathaniel what he was doing under the fig tree. Many scholars believe he was studying the Hebrew scriptures because the ancient rabbis and rabbinical students often studied under fig and olive trees. Perhaps he had become a, a deeply convicted man. Maybe he had come to a point of great spiritual conviction and he had cried out for help. Maybe he had fallen on his face and had been desperate in prayer. Maybe he had had a very meaningful experience that he thought no one else saw or heard. Maybe he had been involved in something else. We don't know. And yet Jesus saw and Jesus knew. And when Jesus said, I heard what you said and I saw what you did under that fig tree, Nathaniel was instantly converted. Even when we don't know of our Lord's presence, even when we feel he is far away from us, he knows our every thought. He knows where we are. As David will later say, we can never get away from his presence. Now, the next verse has become a real favorite of mine. I'm memorizing Psalm 139 in the Living Bible, and I find some of the verses quicker to memorize than others. Well, I memorized verse 3 almost as soon as I read it. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. The Christian Standard Bible says, You observe my travels and my rest. The New American Standard Version says, You scrutinize my path and my lying down. This is another example of mirrorism. The psalmist was saying, You see me when I start out in the morning and when I finish the day in bed. In other words, you know everything that I do. And the Hebrew word here for observe is the word that they used for to winnow or to sift. In other words, just as a baker will sift the wheat and not miss a single speck, so the Lord watches our every grain of sand as it passes through the hourglass of our every day. David was saying, you keenly observe everything I do from the time I get up in the morning and hit the road until the time I return to my bed in the evening. But he isn't just saying that the Lord is an uninvolved observer. The Lord charts the path ahead of us and tells us where to stop and rest. When I was in college, I adopted a slogan that was placed under my name in the yearbook. It said, the will of God, nothing more, nothing less. Now, looking back over a half century, I can tell you that the most exciting opportunities to minister were not the ones that I'd planned or even hoped for or had expected, much of what I myself planned didn't happen as I expected it. I'm convinced that we should prayerfully plan for the uh, foreseeable future. But then we give those plans to the Lord and he always modifies them, always almost recalibrates them into something both more or less than we had expected. In the long run, it is much more. He charts the path ahead of us. He charts the path ahead of you. We make our plans and we want to do certain things or we have our aspirations, but we say, Lord, if it be your will, and he modifies our plans. Sometimes he substitutes them, but he charts the path ahead of us, and then he shows us where to stop and rest. I found that I have to keep two calendars 
One is on my phone, where my daily appointments show up every morning, but it's hard for me to see my year or my month at a glance on the phone. And so I also keep a paper calendar in my planner and I can look at it and I can see patterns there more easily. Last fall, I saw how busy I was until December. But there in the middle of December was a free week and I decided to take a one week trip by myself, something that, well, frankly, I've been afraid to do since my wife Katrina passed. Our favorite part of marriage was probably traveling together. It was like our hobby. And I missed those trips with her so very, very much. We decided that we would travel while we could because of her multiple sclerosis, and I'm glad we did. But now, taking a trip by myself, well, it felt very frightening. And especially, it felt like something that would be very lonely. But I booked a trip at a resort with nearby hiking trails. And when I told somebody about it, they said it sounded like a sabbatical. And that was like a word from the Lord. That became my word for, for my week. I selected the books I wanted to read, and I spent the whole week out there hiking and resting and reading and replenishing and working out. And it wasn't, uh, well, it wasn't a lonely time for me. It might have been if it had been any longer. It was just the right amount of time. And looking back, I believe the Lord showed me that I needed a little sabbatical. I needed to get away and rest. He showed me when and where and how to do it. And Lord willing, I plan to do something similar next December. We all need places to stop and rest, to sleep and rest and pray and hike and walk and swim and detox and declutter ourselves. And so verse three, I wanna recommend to you from the Living Bible. We say, Lord, you chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest every moment you know where I am. And now the psalmist goes on to say in the next verse, you know what I'm going to say before I even say it. The Christian Standard Bible says, before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Now, have you ever said something stupid and then you said to yourself almost instantly, did that just come out of my mouth? Why did I say that? That's happened to me so often, and it's happened to other people as well. I'm not a game show fan, but I did hear about this, and I looked it up online and watched the video clip of it. There was a contestant on the Wheel of Fortune who got the million-dollar card on the giant wheel. So they spun the wheel around, and the $1 million card landed, and he got it, and they put the clue up. And it was as clear for everybody to see as could be as possible. The clue or the answer to the clue was corner curio cabinet. But this poor guy bungled the words trying to say them. It was like a tongue twister. Instead of corner curio cabinet, he, well, he got the syllables mixed up and he opened his mouth and bungled the words and his answer was disqualified. And instead of going home a millionaire, he went home with nothing. Now, I've never made a verbal mistake, I don't think, that cost me a million dollars. But I have said some pretty stupid things, and the Lord knows that maybe I've said some wise things too. But the interesting thing here is that whether it's wise or stupid, he knows what we're going to say before we say it. Well, what does that mean? It means that we have the opportunity every morning to pray and ask the Lord for daily wisdom as it relates to our words 
Lord, help me to speak wisely today. And you never know when the Lord is going to give you just some, some words out of nowhere that will be helpful. I had a good friend who was asked to write a little booklet for an organization. And so he was talking about it with the editor. And when the editor asked him his fee, Bob said something like $10,000 or so. And there was a slight pause in the conversation. And Bob sort of asked himself silently, did I quote enough? And so he quickly added, plus 25 cents, a booklet is royalty. Well, the editor agreed, and that book ended up going viral. Bob received over $250,000 in royalties, which he would never have done. He had just planned to ask for $10,000. But there at the last minute, the Lord gave him an extra little phrase, and much of that quarter million dollars, I happen to know, he used to advance the gospel in a restricted land. Well, where did that unexpected word come from? I think when we ask the Lord to guide our words, he gives us the wisdom to say the right things. He is eager to help us in these situations. The Lord is eager to help you have the right words in every situation. He knows the words we're going to say before we even say them. And then verse 5 goes on to say, you both proceed, precede, you both precede and follow me and place your hand of blessings on my head. What a wonderful sentence. The English Standard Version says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The New English Translation says, you squeeze me in behind and in front and place your hand on me. The Hebrew word here was often used in military terms of an army besieging or surrounding an enemy. But here the psalmist is thinking of this in a positive way, of being protected by God's presence both behind him and before him. There is one clear example of this in the Hebrew scriptures that David would have known, and I think this is what he would have had in mind. Remember, David was a true scholar of the early books of the Bible, and the single most dramatic story of this particular reality was the parting of the Red Sea. Listen to Exodus 14 from the New International Version, beginning with verse 19. Then the angel of God, and we think this would have been the second person of the Trinity, the God incarnate, the second Yahweh uh, himself. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. This was surely the image that inspired David to write in Psalm 139, verse 5, You hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. The Lord goes before us in geography and in time. 
to guide us and to prepare the way. Then he circles around and covers our rear flank, redeeming any messes we've made, forgiving any sins, and also blessings the efforts that we've made for his kingdom. The Lord is always ahead of you like a shepherd leading the way, but he also lingers behind to turn all things for good and to bless the work of our hands. Well, David takes all of this in, and he exclaims in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. In other words, when he realizes the implications of what he has just written, he is staggered. He is lost in wonder. Too many of us have lost the sense of wonder that makes our Christian faith a transcendent experience. When I was a little boy, my parents took my sister and me to Atlanta right after the construction of the Hyatt Regency Hotel, which was one of the first hotels in the world with an open sky atrium as high as you could see and with dramatic glass elevators skimming up and down like rocket ships. I was just a little fellow, but I still remember walking into that hotel with my dad and mom stopping dead in my tracks, my mouth dropped open, and my fingers pointed in awe at what I was seeing. It was like stepping into a scene from science fiction or from the future. I was so stunned to see this all at once. Now, if I was so startled at a hotel on earth, what do you think my reactions will be to seeing New Jerusalem? And even now, shouldn't there be a sense of wonder that fills our hearts when we see how the Lord Jesus cares for us. It is too glorious, too wonderful to believe, and yet it is true. Charles Wegel was an evangelist who traveled from city to city and from church to church preaching the gospel. He encountered a tragedy in his life, but out of that he wrote a song, one that I've loved all of my life, and it kept coming to my mind as I studied Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. So I want to end by quoting it for you. It's a song we should still be singing, and a song which in our churches I hope is sometimes repeated. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me and you. Well, next week we'll continue with our study of Psalm 139. I hope you'll read ahead. And for all of our resources, please check out my website, robertjmorgan.com, as well as my daily post on social media. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Audio editing by Courtney Warner. Blog editing by Luke Tyler and music by Lashiro. Thank you for listening. Please share this with others, and may the Lord be with you until we meet again.